Okay, so um, been covering different lessons on was doing the attributes for a long time. Last time I was up here a couple months ago or so, I spoke on the fact that he provides uh, salvation. And it kind of went through first tense salvation. And so today I'm going to kind of go through and uh, go through second tense salvation a little bit. So, but last week, uh, you know, pastor's uh, title of his lesson was uh, uh, You Should Hate Your Life in John 12, 25. And I, I just thought, wow, I, you know, after the message, I thought, and, you know, he kind of went through how it says it in, the, in, in John chapter 12 there. And, and uh, you know, it was obviously a little tongue-in-cheek, but I thought, man, I, I guess he really wants us to start, you know, kind of coming up with these titles and uh, just kind of challenge everybody and, and maybe kind of bring us down a little bit. So um, I just thought my title should be, You Should Just Give Up. <laughs> I was going through my lesson titles this week, and I was like, nah, no, nah, I don't really like that one. I thought... This is the one I was kind of honing in on. You are nothing but a screw-up. I thought, you know, that really, I think, is, you know, he wants something catchy. You know, let's, let's kind of let's, let's hit people. So um, I, didn't sa- I, I settled on he provides second tense salvation. He provides salvation. So I just thought, you know, just in case you're talking to pastor about that, you can tell him that. You know, I'm trying not to follow that same theme of really just kind of bringing us down here before the message. But... but you never know. Maybe some of those titles will come back during the, the, the service today here. You, you never know. But I, ideally, um, we're going to go with He Provides Salvation, second tense. So I, I think as far as uh, talking about the fact that He Provides Salvation, and we take a look at that, you know, last week we talked about kind of a, a definition of salvation here. And you know, I apologize, this is a, it's kind of a new setup for me here, you know, without the big pulpit. Um, we do have a nice little monitor here that kind of shows us what's going on, but everything's just kind of new here. So I, I've got to kind of get my bearings a little bit here. So I apologize if I'm a little bit uh, discombobulated. But the idea here is he provides salvation. Uh, so I want to just kind of go through our, our definition of salvation, the I- idea of active saving or, or protecting from harm, uh, the state of being saved. And specifically as we talk about salvation um, you know, in a biblical sense, the freedom from the effects of the fall of man, the idea of, of, of a deliverance, the idea of a redemption here. That's what we're talking about when we talk about salvation. As, as we're going through salvation here, you know, one of the fundamental things that, that I was taught kind of growing up, you know, in, in the church here, I've been coming to church here since I was about eight years old or so, but, you know, we always talked about the, the three different tenses of salvation. So, so we have this little overhead here, where we show the different tenses of salvation, the idea of that we're saved from sin's penalty, first tense salvation. We saw that last time I spoke. We kind of went through that, the idea of being saved from the penalty of sin. And, and then uh, today we're going to kind of hone in on being saved, second tense salvation, being saved from the sin's power. And then ultimately we have this idea of third tense salvation, the, uh, a future tense, uh, the idea we're saved ultimately when, when we die, when we go to heaven. Uh, we're saved ultimately from sin's presence. So, so those are the, the different, you know, some of the, the core doctrines you're going to hear here at Heritage Trail Bible Church is, is, is you know, the tenses of salvation. You know, we, we typically try to refer to that. I, I know we have done a, you know, having gone through the Sunday school program myself, having taught Sunday school uh, several years, um, that's something that we're trying to you know, present to the, the kids as well in, in our Sunday school program. So uh, just kind of 
you know, we'll kind of be going back and forth to this slide as we're going through here. But uh, I love this passage here in Titus, and I, I know I touched on this last time, the idea that uh, basically all three tenses are shown in, the, in this passage here. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That would be first tense salvation, the idea of um, he provides salvation, first tense. Teaching us, verse 12, denying ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So that speaks more to second tense salvation, that moment by moment living the Christian life. And then ultimately, uh, verse 13 says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so with that topic, we're, we're talking about uh, the third tense or future tense of salvation. So um, to, to kind of walk into our lesson today about second tense salvation, ultimately we have to figure out, well, how do we get to that point, right? So we have this idea of um, being saved from sin's penalty, uh, first tense salvation. And, and so for us to enjoy the, the, uh, the, the Christian life and to be Christians, we first and foremost must be saved, right? We have to accept Jesus Christ is our personal Savior. So we have this idea of, of going through um, and kind of just a quick review on the gospel or first tense salvation. We have this, this idea here uh, in the fact that man, and pastor talks about this all the time. It's a, it's a pretty simple, pretty simple uh, formula here, right? So first and foremost, we know that man has a problem, right? Man is um, a sinner. So we know that uh, there is... In, in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, it talks about the fact that there's none righteous. Uh, no, not one. That none seek after God. There's none that do good. So that's our problem. Man's problem is that the fact is, is we're, we're born sinners. And there's, you, know, we, you look at these words here in, in Romans 3, 10 through 12, the idea of there's none righteous. There's none that seek after God. There's none that do good. And these words are, are absolutes, right? There, there, there's... There's not one person, no one person is righteous. No one person in their own strength, strength seeks after God. Uh, and it says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Again, another absolute, all. We look at the word of God and we say uh, God's word is uh, in, in, in 2 Timothy, um, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, right? So we know that the words of scripture are God-breathed and we know that God is a a God of truth. He's, uh, he's a God of uh, perfect truth, uh, veracity. Um, so we can take this scripture that he's written and, and we take it to heart and we believe it, right? So we know that it says in the word of God that there is none righteous, no, not one. So that, that's our problem. That's man's problem. So what does God do? He says he provides a solution for us. And that solution in Romans 5, 6, it says, for when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died. For the ungodly. The ungodly, that's us, right? That's each and every one of us. That's everybody who, is, who has been born in Adam and has walked on the face of the earth. Every single one of us is ungodly. But, and we don't have the strength to save ourselves. But in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And God demonstrated his love toward us a couple verses later in Romans chapter 5, 8. He demonstrated his, Lord, his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we see here that there's a loving God. We have a loving God. One of his attributes, his core attributes, is he's a God of love. And he loves us so much, he sent his son to die on that cross for our sins. Now, this is God's solution. He provided the solution for us. 
Now, remember, there's nothing that we do to add to God's solution, right? Um, it's not like working in a chemistry lab in, in college. Um, I've got kids in college right now, and, and they take chemistry classes, and they work uh, to uh, do some sort of chemical, yeah, I'm not a chemistry guy, some sort of chemical equation, reaction, whatever, I don't know. I, I took one year, I, took, I thought, I'm going to go into college and be a chemical engineer. And I, I took, like, general chemistry my first year of college. It's like, I'm not going to be a chemical engineer. So, so I switched. But uh, anyhow, so you're doing, you're doing lab experiments. That's the word I'm looking for, lab experiments. And um, you've got a partner, right? Well, so you come up with a solution to this experiment or whatever. Um, God doesn't need a lab partner from us. He, he provided the solution. There's nothing that we do, there's nothing that involves us with this solution. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what is our role in this whole thing? Well, our role is to respond. Our role is to accept it. In uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When I was 10 years old or so, I was at camp, Camp Siegel. Before we went back to, to Camp Esquagama, we were at Camp Siegel. We're now at Camp Siegel again. Um, and I had a couple of counselors who shared, put my name in John 3.16. For God so loved Eric that he gave his only begotten son that if Eric believes in him, he should not perish but have everlasting life. And at that point, I said, I can get behind that. Yeah, I, I believe that. I, I understand that. And um, so what was my response? At that point in time, I responded and I accepted the free gift of salvation. And that's the only thing that's required on our part. We need to accept that free gift of salvation. Acts 16.31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's a simple equation, Right? It's a simple formula. Nothing else can save us. There's no, there's no um, list of things that can save us. It's accepting what he did for us on that cross. Um, and we get to experience, first tense, salvation. We, we get to experience and be justified, as we, we talked about last time I spoke, where we are declared righteous. Um, we, we think about this in... in the, the Lord obviously wants us, he, he, has, he wants us to have a change of mind about what gets us to heaven. We might think it's, it's uh, certain works. We might think it's uh, whatever the case might be, going to a certain church. Um, but he wants us to have a change of mind and know that it's nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ and his blood shed for us. Um, and faith and trust in that completed work, his death, burial, and resurrection, that we get to spend eternity in heaven. Now, once we've accepted Christ as our personal Savior, a couple of key things that I, I think were, and one of which I, I was actually thinking about this, this as I was preparing this week, and it, it just reminded me, uh, which is why I brought up when I got saved, but one of the things that's important to remember about salvation is, is um, the assurance of salvation, right? And uh, we have to remember in 1 John 5, we have 1 John 5, 
right here in verse 11 and 12, it says, and this is the record that God had given to us eternal life. Eternal means forever, right? And this life is in his son, and he that hath the son hath life, and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. In verse 13, it goes on to say, and these things have I written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's important to remember that once we're saved, we have that assurance and being that eternal security of always being saved. I want you to turn your Bibles to uh, John chapter 10 real quickly. John chapter 10. And again, this is another, this is a, another foundational thing for me and, and my acceptance of Christ as my personal Savior or just maybe that security for me. So... Um, I didn't know this was going to turn into my personal testimony here, but this is what we're doing here. John, John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse, verse 28. And so I, I said I got saved when I was in fourth grade or so, but I still had this nagging thing inside of me that I just, I, you know, I, I sometimes would wonder, am I really saved? I just, I just, I don't feel like I'm saved. And, and that's not an uncommon thing, I think, for, um, for people who grow up, um, in the church, um, in, in, a, in a Christian church, uh, a Bible-believing church, I, I don't think that's uncommon. I've, I've had some of my own kids have had some of those same struggles. But I remember being at, at VBS um, in fifth grade or sixth grade, maybe about a year or so after I was at camp in fourth grade. And uh, I remember the lesson being taught on this passage right here. And uh, the idea in John chapter 10, verse 28 says, And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Now, now, Jesus is talking here about his sheep, right? His children. And I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And I remember, and I, I know I've shared this before, the idea was explained to me that, that Jesus Christ is saying, I'm, I'm putting you in my hand. And... Uh, we know, what do we know about, I mean, I've gone through God's attributes. He's an omnipotent God, right? So he's all-powerful, and Jesus Christ says, I'm going to put you in my hand, and my Father is going to put his hand over you. And once you're in, in my family, you can never get out of my family. And, and for me, that, that registered for me so much at that young age of, of understanding the fact that I can never leave God's family. Once I'm saved, I'm always sa- saved. So as I was thinking about it, you, know, you want to talk about some of the importance of, of some of the ministries we do here at, at Heritage Trail. You want to talk about the camp ministry, very foundational in, in my salvation. You want to talk about the, the Bible school ministry, again, very foundational in, in, in me uh, just maybe cementing my salvation. You know, who knows when I got saved? Did I get saved at camp? Did I get saved when I understood eternal security? I don't know. I do know I'm saved now. So that's the reality of it is, and uh, it's different for every, every young person. You, you want to think about just even the, the different Sunday school ministries we do, the Truth for Youth. You know, I'm going to make a little pitch for Truth for Youth on Wednesday nights. You, you think about opportunities to get involved and in, 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 in minister in a church and, and rub elbows with other people, and, uh, and uh, you, you might be sitting there in, in your pew or your chair or whatever saying, I, I, I don't know how I can get involved. And, and uh, maybe, there, maybe you'd be praying for things, and, and that's, that's great. And you, you might say, you know, I just don't know that I can stand up and, 
and teach a lesson to young people or, or whatever the case might be. But I tell you what, you, think, you, you look at how many people, how many of our young people, our own kids, my own kids, I have four kids that have gone through this, all the different uh, VBS camp, Truth for Youth, th- these types of ministries, and how many people have, have taken time out of their um, schedules, their lives to uh, uh, let, let the Lord use them in, the, in these different teaching ministries. It's, it's very important. It, it's very important, and, and I would just say that if you ever want to get involved in something like that, I would encourage you to, and we have a perfect opportunity on Wednesday nights with the young kids, um, pre-K through about second grade in one class, and then third through six in another class in our Truth for Youth ministry, and we're always, uh, you can talk to Dan Nitz uh, uh, about getting involved in that, and I would really encourage you, if you're you're on the fence, or if you're uh, saying, hey, how can I be used, or I'm, I'm new here, and and man, what a, what a great opportunity on Wednesday nights to, to get involved in that, you know, and, and sometimes it, it might take, you know, either Dan or, or, or maybe myself or pastor to come and ask you, but uh, just pray about it. And uh, I, I, think you, I think you would be uh, incredibly um, encouraged by, by just even some of the times that you can spend. There's no greater chance to have a, a, a chance to share the gospel with young kids and even just share verses with young kids and just, uh, it's an encouraging time. So uh, enough about the PSA there. I just, I just thought of it. Um, important to remember about salvation is we are eternally secure. We, we have to rest in that assurance. The, the other thing to remember here, um, is, uh, I, I, I have, a, I have an analogy about eternal security. No, so every, every, eternal, every analogy that you do is pretty flawed. So, so I just had this in my note. I forgot about this analogy here. But um, So you think about, I, so most of us have, have been some, maybe not most of us, but some of us have been sports people, right? Played some sports. Um, and uh, you, you, might, uh, you might have a, like if you're playing, okay, so I'll, I'll just, I'll t- you know, I'm a basketball guy, right? So I play basketball, and uh, I love basketball, and I still play uh, very, not as well, obviously, as I used to, but there's nothing better when you're playing basketball, um, and I've told my kids this before, you know, you don't, I, I'm competitive, we're all competitive, and, uh, you know, you don't, uh, you try to keep your competitive juices somewhat, um, you know, contained, Right? Try to be a good example. Whatever you do, do as heartily as unto the Lord. Many times in my life playing basketball, I haven't been a good example, but I'm learning, I'm work in progress. But there's nothing better when you're playing a a, a sport or something like that, playing basketball, in my case, and you you get up and you you play up to a certain point. You play up to seven, you play up to nine or whatever, and you pull up and you're shooting that shot, and when you release that shot, and you just know, that's it, that's game, that's the last point, and you, and you call game, right, as you're shooting the shot, and that shot goes in, man, there's, there's no better feeling um, than that, and you know that that shot is good as soon as it leaves your hand, because you're not going to, you don't really want to call game if you're shooting, and then you brick it off the side of the basket, kind of looks, it's, you know, bad optics, it doesn't look real good, you know, and you usually get some, some teasing from other people, um, and so, but there's nothing better than you're shooting and you're calling game. And I remember one time switching sports here uh, to, uh, um, I was, we, we were having a, 
a, a this was many, many years ago. I think I was in college or something. And uh, uh, we, we had a family reunion, and uh, one of my uncles wanted, had, the, had the idea of doing horseshoes at the family reunion, a little horseshoe competition. And, and, uh, and it, was, it was really fun, su super fun. I was probably in college, whatever. And so I got all my cousins and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, lo and behold, my, my father, actually, my dad, used to be a pretty good horseshoe player back in the day. He used to play with our, some of our neighbors on the lake. And when I was really young, I didn't really even know that. And, and, um, but uh, so my uncle thought that he was going to, you know, beat my dad at something or whatever, you know, wh whatever the case might be. But so he sets up this horseshoe tournament and by some stroke of luck, I'd never really played horseshoes before, but by some stroke of luck, I'm either, I'm either in the semifinals or the finals against my dad. I can't even remember what it is. It's, I think it might have been, what, it doesn't really matter. That, that's, but, and I was, I was beating my dad. I'm, I'm like, I have no idea how I'm, you know, I'm just like, I don't, I've never thrown horseshoes before. And, and uh, so I'm ahead, like, you play up to 21 and I'm ahead like 17 to 15. And when you get a ringer in horseshoes, if you're familiar with horseshoes, the horseshoes around the, the post there, that's a ringer, you get, that's three points. And you throw two horseshoes on an end or whatever. And, and I was, you know, kind of talking a little trash a little bit to my dad maybe and saying, yeah, I'm the head 17, 16. And he just kind of looked at me and said, well, all I need is this end, they're just two ringers. And uh, <laughs> I'll be darned if he didn't throw two ringers. Oh, I was so mad. And, but, and, and on the second one then he threw it, he called it. He's like, there it is, that's game. As he let it go. And I thought, you know, and at the time, you know, I suppose there's a little bit of, you know, provoking your kids to wrath or provoking people to wrath in that, that, you know, that's why every analogy falls apart. But, but the point is, is, you know, when you know, you know, as, as you're playing and you know, boy, that shot's good, that's game. Um, I would say, I, I was thinking about the idea of eternal security. The moment we get saved, God calls game, right? He's like, you're mine. This, you, you're in my family, that's game. End of story, a, a, end of the, that's it. We are, all, we are instantaneously, we, we think about Schaefer's positional truths, we are instantaneously, instantaneously condemned no more. We're in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Uh, we're per perfected forever in, in Hebrews uh, 10.14. Uh, we're complete in him. We are of the family and of the household of God. And I just, I thought, I, you know, like I said, no analogy is perfect, but it just, it just made me think of that um, as I was kind of looking at that, you know, this, this week, and I just thought it was kind of interesting. The second thing that we want to think about here is we have this assurance we are eternal secu eternally secure. The other thing that we just want to keep in mind and remember about first tense salvation is only our rejection of Christ condemns us. There's nothing else that condemns us. In John 3, 18, it says, He who believes on him is not condemned, but he that who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Sin is no longer the issue. We, and we're going to see today, that we still have the, the propensity to sin. We still have a sin nature inside of us. But that was paid, our sin is paid for, past, present, and future. Uh, it's our lack of belief, our lack of faith, our lack of trust in what he did for us that condemns us. So that's, that's I, I guess, what I wanted to, to get through here today as we go through um, kind of a review of, of first tense salvation here. We had this idea of we kind of define the term of justification. We talk about first tense salvation being justification. We see that, you know, as, as we explain first tense salvation there, we see the idea of justification of being declared righteous. 
um, we're declared righteous in, that, in the fact that justification is an act of God by which he pronounces a sinner to be righteous because of that sinner's faith in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on his behalf. And the, the idea of it, it being a legal term in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus Christ, to be, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. So that's what we saw last, week, last time I spoke here. So um, hopefully that uh, provides a little bit of uh, context going in here and, and we get to the, the, the second tense of it, salvation. So we, we're kind of walking now into, so now once we're saved, we have the idea of um, we're saved moment by moment from sin's power. So we're saved from the power of sin in our life, moment by moment. And so we, we call this um, theological description here sanctification. Now again, some of these words, um, you know, if you're fairly new here or, or haven't been un- under this sort of teaching, uh, just, you know, just, just bear, bear with us here, right? Yeah, I mean, it's all about, you know, sometimes, you know, just kind of, you know, kind of by, by you, you might not understand every term, um, but, but that's all right. You just keep letting the, letting the Spirit of God just kind of working on you, just kind of learning, taking it in. And ultimately, these, I, I think it's good for us to define some of these terms as we, we're going through uh, these in, in some of these core doctrines, what we would say, uh, about uh, second tense, or first and second and third tense salvation as we're going through here. So um, I just want to go through and, and kind of define sanctification. And then what I'm going to do is kind of walk through our doctrinal statement. And it, so I, again, it's, it's probably going to be a little bit of a, uh, maybe, um, you know, there'll, there'll be a little bit of learning type stuff going on here today. So I apologize for that if, if, if you're not into it. But just, again, just take it in. I, I just, I think it's, I think it'd be important to, to learn and important to, to see this here. So the idea of sanctification being a set apart unto God, set apart for a divine purpose. Um, and we take a look at that. The, another, some other terms here that we'll define is sanctify, set apart, or the state of being saved, state of being set apart. I think that's supposed to be, I don't think saved is supposed to be in there, but um, it might have been a typo. Uh, holy, uh, so again, these are all words that kind of c- come off of sanctification here. Uh, the state of being set apart or being set apart from that which is unholy. Again, pretty straightforward here. Um, and, and again, these, all these terms are, are used uh, multiple times in, in the word of God. Uh, I've got all the stats here. The, the word saint here is, is uh, re- used uh, 50 times uh, about Israel in the Old Testament and 62 times about believers in the, in the New Testament. And, it, and this, the definition here is it, it relates to your position as being set apart in the plan and purpose of God. So um, the idea here is it's not um, associated uh, with your quality of daily life, right? Being a saint, oh, he was such a saint. Um, th- this, this ultimately it has to do with our position of being set apart in the plan and purpose of God. And I thought, uh, I put this quote up there from Schaefer, I thought was really good. Um, this term ne- never indicates personal character or worthiness. Being already set apart unto God in Christ, all Christians by so much are now saints from the moment they are saved. So again, we have that idea of once we get saved, we are instantaneously um, uh, saints. We're given sainthood, right? So you, you think about uh, the different uh, religions that, that elevate saints. I mean, ultimately, we are given 
saints. We, we, are, we become saints the, moments we're saved, the moment we're saved. Sainthood, then, is not a future prospect. All believers are saints, positionally considered here. So this idea of we are positionally uh, in Christ, the idea of uh, positional sanctification here. Uh, a couple of verses that, that go along with this, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And then the, the, the last verse here um, or uh, on this topic is 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him who are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And that's, that's taken right from Jeremiah chapter 9. Um, you don't have to turn there. I'll, 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 I'll turn there. I have it right here. But Jeremiah 9.23, it says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let the, not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. So we're to glory in the Lord, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. So that, that's the idea here. We think about the song that we sang this morning. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. So we have to, we have, to have that. That should be in our, our, um, in our purview as we're looking at this. It's, it's not, and in, in Brent selected another perfect song. Not, not I but Christ. There, there was one there's one phrase at the end of verse three. No, no trace. Say no trace of I be found, and I, I guess I'd kind of forgotten that. I suppose I've sang that song many times, but um, it is not I, but it's Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Great things He hath done, and that's what we have to. That's what we need to be remembering um, as we live the Christian life, and we we be living out going through our daily walk and living the christian life um, ultimately it's not i but jesus christ no trace of i be found Um, i thought that was just a really really neat uh, song selection here so um he provides salvation second tense so i'm gonna i'm gonna walk through a, a few excerpts from our doctrinal statement uh, like I said, uh, bear, bear with me here a little bit. Um, I, I think, it'll, think it'll be good. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it just, it just kind of, I think it just provides a little bit of context and a little, little helpful here. So we have this idea of, of and this is, these are taken right from our doctrinal statement, the, the, the two natures of the believer. So we believe, this is our Heritage Trail doctrinal statement, we believe that every saved person possesses two natures with provision made for victory of the new nature over the old nature through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit and that all claims to the eradication of the old nature in the life, in, in the life are unscriptural. I'm, maybe that I, I did a typo there, I'm not sure. But, um, so this idea is we have two natures, right? The moment we get saved, we, we were born with a sin nature, right? Wherefore, uh, Romans 5, 12, wherefore in Adam all sin, we're all born with a sin nature. The moment we get, we get saved, we call that um, sin nature now the old sin nature. Um, 
Well, Romans 6.13, do not present, that's one of the verses there, do not present your, your members as instruments of righteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So we have this idea here that once we get saved, we have now the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit indwells us and we have the, the old sin nature. And so we have this idea here, that this idea of, of two natures, um, and, and we have uh, the fact that one of our nature, the old sin nature, is me first, right? We still have that propensity inside of us, uh, once we get saved, to still want to serve ourselves, right? That, so that'd be the idea of that me first thinking, that human viewpoint thinking, and the, the Holy Spirit yet is inside of us, so we're going to either be yielding to the Holy Spirit or we're going to be allowing the, the, the sin nature to direct us and lead us. And that, that idea there of yielding to the Holy Spirit, uh, being in fellowship, uh, operating in our divine viewpoint, and then uh, let's turn our Bibles to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I should have turned there first before we got to this slide. but Galatians chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 16. And we talk about this idea, it kind of shows the, the two natures here. Galatians 5.16. Okay, verse 16 says, I, in, in Galatians chapter 5, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So this idea here that we have two options. We walk in the Spirit or the flesh. We, we, we are serving either our spirit, we're yielding to the Holy Spirit, or we're serving, yielding to our flesh and allowing the, our sin nature, our old sin nature to, to control. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So we have this idea, you, you, you can't serve both at the same time. Um, th- that's, that's, that's pretty obvious. Um, you, you're, either, you're either yielding to one or the other. Um, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And they, in verses uh, uh, 19 through 20, they get a whole list of the, of the works of the flesh here. But then in verse 22, you get down to, but the fruit of the Spirit. So we, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So we have this idea here that we're serving one or the other. We're either yielding to the old sin nature or we are um, yielding to the, the Holy Spirit and, and allowing uh, the Spirit of God to have, have free course in us here. So that's the idea here of the, just kind of walking through our doctrinal statement of the two natures. Uh, what's, what's the other thing, uh, next thing in our doctrinal sta- statement here? We have this idea of sanctification, right? Second tense salvation, this idea of sanctification, that's kind of the theological principle or, that, or that's what we're talking through here. And um, there, we're going to see there's uh, th- kind of sanctification in, in three different aspects here. So, um, and, I, and I'll just kind of go through them here one by one. We believe that sanctification, which is a setting apart unto God, is threefold. The first one highlighted there in bold, it is already complete for every person, every saved person, because his position toward God is the same as Christ's position. Since the believer is in Christ, he is set apart unto God 
in the measure in which Christ is set apart unto God. So first and foremost, we have this idea that um, we are positionally sanctified. The moment we become saved, we are positionally in Christ. So we are set apart in Christ. So that's, that's the first one here. That's, that's the first um, threefold part of uh, sanctification that's kind of discussed in our doctrinal statement. What's the second one? The second one was right here. So we believe, uh, continuing to read on, however, that he retains his sin nature, which we talked about that. The two, the, the, there's two natures which cannot be eradicated in this life. Therefore, while the standing of the Christian in Christ is perfect, his present state is no more perfect than his experience in daily life. There is, therefore, a progressive or experiential, I put, I, I added that, experience, or maybe that might be in there, I can't remember, but I put it in uh, quotes there, sanctification, wherein the Christian is to grow in grace and to be changed by the unhindered power of the Spirit. So again, that would be Again, talking second tense salvation, this would be talking more about um, practical or experiential sanctification, progressive sanctification, it says right in there. Uh, So the idea of uh, moment by moment growing in grace as we live the Christian life, um, in theory, as we first get saved, we're called in in, uh, 1 Peter or Second Peter two, uh, first I can't somewhere in Peter, um, babes in Christ, right? And as we des- desire the sincere milk of the word, we grow. And you think about a baby that grows, and you're ultimately going to um, uh, take on nourishment, take on um, you know calories, take on you know whatever the case might be to to grow and get stronger as a baby. Um, and then you ultimately become a young adult. It's the same thing with our Christian life, right? We are, as we live the Christian life, we're, we're growing, we're taking on, we're, we're learning more about, we're reading what, we're learning what the Word of God has for us. We're, 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 going, to, we're going to Sunday school, we're going to church, we're, um, you know, we're, we're rubbing elbows with other believers, we're going to... Um, uh, the men's Bible study, whatever the case might be, we're reading the Bible on our own. We're, we're growing in grace and, and, and allowing the Spirit of God to, um, uh, to convict us and, and, and allow us to learn and, 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 and get, get wiser, right? In theory, right? That, that's, that's that idea of growing in grace. That's that um, practical sanctification. And that happens moment by moment as we live the Christian life. Moment by moment. That's what we have to remember. What's the third one here? The last statement there highlighted in bold, we believe also that the child of God will yet be fully sanctified in his state as he is now sanctified in his standing in Christ when he shall see his Lord and shall be like him. And we've got a bunch of verses listed there. I, you know, we won't go to, to all those verses. We're kind of turning to a couple of them here and there as we're going along. But um, what do we call this? We call this ultimate sanctification. Again, this would be more the, the, the third tense, our, our future home in, in heaven. Um, so again, so we've seen, we've, we've walked through now uh, and seen the, the two natures of the believer as outlined in our doctrinal statement. We've seen this paragraph on sanctification 
And then there's one last thing that I want to look at in our doctrinal statement here as well, is the idea is, uh, of separation. And again, this kind of dovetails right off of, of sanctification as well too. Um, but the, the first part A there, it says positional separation. We believe that each believer has been positionally set apart by virtue of being in Christ. Um, so we have this idea of once we are saved, we are not of the world, right? We are in Christ. We are positionally in Christ. We are, we are, we are to be strangers in this world. We are to be foreigners in this world. Uh, we are not citizens of this world anymore once we are saved. We are citizens of heaven. We are in Christ. We are positionally in Christ. Um, experiential separation here. We believe that separation is the human side of sanctification. Separation is always unto God from something and automatically accompanies growth in grace. The believer is told to separate from religious apostasy. Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. The believer is told to separate from religious apostasy. So in 2 Timothy, Paul is uh, writing his, his second and final letter uh, to Timothy, but this is the last book that uh, Paul has written before he, uh, in chapter 4, he talks about the time of his departure is at hand. Uh, so so he's, uh, he knows his, his time is winding down. And he warns Timothy here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, verse 1, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, right? So I'm sure every, every speaker who has spoken throughout time, uh, go back to 100 years ago, go back to 200 years ago, Wh- whoever was speaking, obviously not at this church, but at, say, a church in wherever, England, or a church, uh, a Bible-believing church, there's probably many times where a, a pastor or a speaker has said, we are in the last days, right? And, uh, I mean, you know, I'm sure at the time when, when Paul wrote this, he didn't have a full understanding of when those last days were. And all through time, there, there's been people who think we are in the last days. So um, the, the reality is, is we don't know when, the, when those last days are coming. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good laundry list of things, of perilous times. And we could look back and say, yeah, all that stuff's happening right now. And you could probably 200 years ago look back and say, yeah, all that stuff's happening then. Lovers of pleasure, verse, end, of verse, end of verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but, di- but, not, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. So the idea here is we have this um, religious apostasy, people who are opposed to um, Jesus Christ, and we are told to turn away from those people. Now, don't How else do you share the gospel with people by 
not spending some time with them or, or when you have chances, you share the gospel with people. But the idea here is, is you don't just start, you know, getting yourself, you know, the, 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 the Psalm, Psalm 1 principle, sit, sit at the, stand in the way of sinners, sit at the seat of the scornful. Um, that's the problem when things flash through your head and you don't, you don't go there, you don't, you don't really remember. Um, but uh, Psalm 1 I'm going to turn there because I reference it, so I have to. I, I can't just. I can't just wing it. Blessed the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the path of sinners, or sits at the seat of the scornful. Um, the idea is, is uh, we are to still be lights in this dark world to th- these folks, but we don't. We don't spend time. Um, you know, we're, we're told to separate from that apostasy, right? And that, that's what, that's that experience, that's, that's what, what's talked about here and, and reviewed in our, in our doctrinal statement. Um, the believer is to separate from worldly and sinful pleasures, practices, and associations. We have this idea of uh, uh, Romans, Romans chapter 12. Um, I beseech you, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're not to be conformed to this world, but I don't fit in, Dad. But I don't fit in with my friends. You shouldn't, right? You shouldn't. Doesn't mean that you can't have friends it, that are of this world that you can't can't have unbelieving friends. It doesn't mean that I can't have uh, relationships, uh, work relationships with unbelievers, uh, whatever the case might be. I, I, I have many of them, but I shouldn't fit in. I shouldn't conform to this world. That's not what the Lord wants for each and every one of us. That's not being set apart, right? Um, First John, we talk, you have that passage there that talks about First John uh, 2, 15 through 17. We're told to love not the world, neither the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, right? Um, at the end of that, it says God encourages separation by promising special felicity or bliss to the faithful. Um, that just kind of concludes that. So this idea here of being, you know, as, as we kind of walk through our, our doctrinal statement, um, the idea of, of the two natures, um, sanctification and separation, you know, all these things. Um, I think it's important for us to see, it's important for us to, to understand here. Um, and we're, we're talking about salvation um, from, the, from the power of sin, the, this idea of this, experial, this progressive or experiential um, practical sanctification is a moment-by-moment concept, right? It's, uh, we're... we're you know, we, it doesn't take very long to go through your day and realize that you're not always in fellowship, right? This is a moment-by-moment thing. And when we get out of fellowship, when we do find that we're going the wrong way, we, you, 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 correct, you, you correct the ship, right? You say, Lord, my thinking's off here. Help me to get more in alignment with your thinking. And uh, kind of re, re-study First John 1, 9. Confess your sins. Lord, I, I was wrong there. You know what? Let's, let's just move on. And you confess your sin, don't, don't dwell on it, forsake it, move on, and, and just, you know, just keep letting the, the Spirit of God direct you. Um, and that's ultimately what it comes down to. Um, the tenses of salvation. 
that, that's, that's where we're at here. Th- this idea of um, being saved, second tense salvation from sin's power in our life. And um, the idea here of he provides salvation from sin's power. Jehovah Jireh, right? He provides, God provides, the Lord will provide. Um, and that's kind of what we're trying to, that's what I'm trying to go through with these, these different lessons here on, on the, the, the tenses of salvation. Um, the idea here is that this second tense salvation or being saved from the power of sin is only realized by a rest and reliance on the Holy Spirit, by yielding to the Holy Spirit. When we are letting the other things in life occupy our thoughts, right? When we are letting um, fear, worry, anxiousness, anxiety, whatever the case might be, occupy our thoughts, are we resting and relying on the Holy Spirit? We're not. Um, are we trusting the Lord we're in the mid- when, we're, when, we're, when we are in the middle of trials? Um, are we spending time in his word? So what's the key? The key is it's not about us just much like the, the, uh, the idea of first tense salvation where God provides a solution. You know, we're not lab partners with God to come to the right solution. The key is it's not about us. It's not about us doing the best we can or being all we can be, right? That's, was, the, was that the, the Army or Marines or something like that? I don't know. I'm not a military guy, but there was a big slogan year, when I was younger, be the best you can be, all you can be. Um, that's not how we live the Christian life. Um, remember one of my, my uh, proposed message, my working message titles? You're nothing but a screw-up. That, that's what we are. So it's, it's, not our, it's not about us living the Christian life because I am nothing but a screw-up. In, in my own, in, in the capacity that I have, what I can do by, by pulling my bootstraps up and, and uh, living the Christian life, if I'm doing it with that mentality, I am nothing but a screw-up because that's what I am. That's exactly what I am. Turning your Bibles to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. How did we get saved? I just talked about it, right? How did we get saved? Colossians chapter 2 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, well, how did I do that? By grace, through faith. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how I received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him. So our walk, our daily walk, our Christian life, our second tense walk, by grace through faith in Christ alone. No trace of I be found. Right? No trace of I be found. Not I by Christ. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. Verse 7 says, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. We're establishing the faith in him. Verse 9, For in him, again, this talks about our 
completeness in Christ, for in him dwells all the fullness of Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power, for in him you were also circumcised. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism. Verse 13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. So all this talks about being in him. We are complete in Christ. And that's what we have to, that's what I have to have a constant reminder of, is the focus should not be on us. The idea of living the Christian life moment by moment, the focus is not on us. What's one of the songs we sing with the kids all the time at camp, at VBS, little kids song? He's able, he's able, I know he is able, right? It's he's able. It's not I'm able. I'm able to solve these problems. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. Um, there's another popular song on the radio. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. That should be our mindset, moment by moment, living the Christian life. It's not, it's not what we're doing. It's to God be the glory, great things he, hath, he has done. We need to rest, we need to rely, we need to relax, we need to yield and allow the Holy Spirit to have free course and work through us. Our responsibility, our responsibility there is just yield to the Holy Spirit. Um, turn to John, John chapter 15. The key is the Holy Spirit. He does it and he gets the glory. John chapter 15. This is a common passage. It, it talks about the, the vine and the branches. John 15, 1, it says, I am the true vine. We're, we're yielding the, the Jesus Christ is the vine. We are branches abiding. And ultimately what happens? The bearing of the fruit. Now the bearing of the fruit isn't based on the, 
the nutrients at, at, at the end of the branches. It's, it's the nutrients in, rooted and grounded in the word of God, rooted and grounded in God, and the nutrients in the, in the vine. That's what it comes down to. So the idea here is the key is abiding. The key isn't the bearing fruit. The bearing fruit is the byproduct of the abiding. And I think too many times, Christians, believers, we get confused about second tense salvation. Um, and you, you, you can talk to, di- you can hear it in different people, how they're talking. And, and, and uh, where they talk about, yep, well, I just got to, you know, give myself to the Lord. You know, and just, uh, you know, allow this to, and, 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 and that's, not, it's, that's not even a wrong statement per se. I guess the idea is, is what's the mentality behind that statement? You know what? A, a, allowing the Lord to work? Absolutely. We allow, we allow the Lord to work. You, you, you give, give your life to the Lord, but it's, don't, don't put the focus on what you're doing, I guess. Maybe that's the best way to say it. Maybe I, maybe I messed it up there. The focus, when it, as it comes to this passage, is not on bearing fruit. Because I think the idea of bearing fruit in this passage can get real me-centric, right? That, that that's what you're doing. The idea is abiding, rest, and rely. Remember, he's able. Lord, I need you. Um, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. Um, yesterday, as I was kind of putting the final touches on this message, I was, I was texted this verse as a, as a part of a... Um, um, some some verses here. Don't get oh there you go. I'm kind of catching <laughs> catching up there. I apologize. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Right. It's kind of like first ten salvation. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How in believing, accepting Christ as your personal Savior, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we have to remember. It's not I, but Christ. No more trace of I be found. That's what we have to remember, people. It's, it's, uh, and it's easy to forget. I'll be the first. Uh, sometimes it's, 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 uh, it's easy to forget. I, I trust uh, this has been encouraging, hopefully, a reminder of his provision of salvation. He provides salvation for us, second tense, from sin's power, in our life. Um, hopefully it was good. Hopefully it provides a little bit of an understanding of uh, positional sanctification, practical sanctification, uh, and you know, all of those great promises we have as being a child of God. Let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your amazing grace and the fact that you are a God that provides so much for us and pray that you would just give us um, encouragement now, Lord, even about just the, these, these reminders that we can hear about how the, it's, it's not I, it's not us, it's not us pulling ourselves by our, up by our bootstraps, it's us resting and relying, having a, casting a heavenward gaze and saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. And we have to just be constantly reminded of that Pray that you would just uh, undertake with um, 
the remainder of the day, even just pray that you would just guide and direct with uh, even the events of this week, even think about our board meeting coming up, even think about the, the women's uh, book club and, and, and the men's study on Friday and just all these different ministry opportunities. We just thank you and for all these things and even just pray for the, the young people's uh, uh, gathering on, on Friday and Saturday and just uh, the time there to maybe to hear some things about apologetics and thank you for all those things now in Jesus' name.